0: All right, ladies and gentlemen. If you are hearing this, you have once again tuned to the consequence of have a podcast, and this is your host JT. Hey, as many of you know, today is Giving Tuesday. Today's a day worldwide where people give to uh, charitable organizations, nonprofits with missions that they believe in. They fall in line with their with their values, and they open up their wallets or their pocketbooks and they and they help support them. And if you've gotten anything from this podcast or any of the events that were that we've already held, or events that we're going to be holding, which more to come when you hear about this week's guest, then we ask you to please go on to consequenceofhabit.org. Uh, find out more about us. Find out if, if our mission to bring awareness to the impact that habits have on our mental health, our success in the environment uh, falls in line with your values. And if so, uh, please donate. You now, None of this happens without, without donations. There isn't a, a board member on here that collects any money from this. This is all volunteer work, but we believe in, we believe in uh, this, this idea of doing something bigger than us, building connection through purpose, challenge, and empathy. And I've been super fortunate to surround myself with a board of directors that is, dude, they're, they're unbelievable. We have experts in the field of mental health, uh, behavioral science, meditation, mindfulness, addiction, addiction sustainability. So please check us out. And like I said, if, if if our mission falls in line with your values, then please do us a favor and send a little chatter, man. Help support what, what we're doing and all the things to come. And speaking of events, we are currently planning one for this April that's going to take place either at or near Dover Air Force Base. It's going to be a mindfulness meditation and movement workshop run by retired Navy SEAL John McCaskill, as well as, as well as this week's guest, Dr. Teresa Larson. Dr. Larson's a lot of things. She's a, she's a mother, she's a Marine officer veteran, and she's an entrepreneur. And if you looked at her life right now, you'd say, man, this woman must have always had it all together. And when I have conversations with people that that seem to be just kicking life in the ass, yet they're willing to to talk about the times that, oh man, sometimes they're not pretty. They're willing to talk about the hard things with the hopes of helping other people uh, who could be going through the same thing. Those are the people I love having conversations with. And that's exactly what happened on this one. You know, Dr. Larson struggled with an eating disorder uh, while she was serving as a Marine officer, she spent all of her time taking care of the Marines under her, all while personally struggling uh, with some of her own demons, which eventually led her to a, a crossroads in her life where she had to make a really difficult choice. But I'll let her take it from there. So without further ado, please welcome to the podcast Dr. Teresa Larson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Consequence of Habit podcast. Today, I am honored to have on Dr. Teresa Larson. Teresa, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, JT. I'm excited to be here with my, you know, other half. here, skelly doesn't say much. Yeah, I'll just be observing.
0: Well, we're, I, I think we're gonna. I'm gonna have you turn around just so everyone knows there's a skeleton behind her. Uh, here there is, there, and we're gonna point out all the the jacked up areas on my body that hopefully you build notice. <laughs> figure out what's going on. Oh. Um, so full transparency, this is not the first time we tried doing this. Um, I think, I think the, the first time I saw a, a notification that you had start jumped on the zoom call. Um, wow. Long story short, this is the third time last time I completely dropped the ball and just didn't show up for it. So the fact that you are, are gracious enough to to agree to come back means a lot. And I do appreciate that very much.
1: Well, um, I have to say JT, it's a one like I told you before this, when you're doing big things, sometimes you do drop the ball, but the fact that you own it and you follow up, right, that says a lot about you. So, hey, okay. all right. All right. I'll be willing to do that.
0: I'll take it. Thank you. Uh, all right. So there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about today. There, there's you're, you're kind of a unicorn uh, because you, what you're doing with the vets, uh, we're going to get into some things around uh, coping mechanisms and habits and addiction, mm-hmm. and then we're going to get into... Uh, something that kind of really interests me about your story, and and maybe we'll start off with that. From from the outside looking in, it seems like you had this passion around fitness and um, uh, mindfulness and 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 physical therapy, but your idea of it wasn't really fitting the mold of what was out there already, and you've kind of created this 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 new thing and, and made it your own where instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to jump on and just do what everybody else is doing. It's like, you, you just wipe the slate clean. So, Hey, let's, let's do it the way I want to do it. Am, am I, am I correct in saying that?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely correct. I was actually just speaking to my grad school a little bit before this about that. Like, I just, I can't do the norm. Like I can't, like uh, now that I know what's out there in the PT world and health and wellness world, like I I see where there's a missing where the missing pieces are, mm-hmm. and as someone who is also up to doing big things, like I can't just let those slide. Yeah. Like I got I want to do something about it, and that's like that's what's that's like living, right? Like going after your passion, living it each day, as hard as it is. Like that's living.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So just so everyone knows what the, what the hell we're talking about, uh, you, you, you are, have started a, a company called movement RX. Yeah. So a lot of people listening to this have probably gone through some type of physical therapy where that thing where you went mm-hmm. in, they brought you in, you might be in a room with a bunch of other people. They, they do a little stretching with you. Um, they, they put some, some heat, the, oh. some stint, and then you're kind of sent <laughs> on your way right? And yeah. so, so, so a guy, I, I've had two back surgeries, very familiar mm-hmm. with this. That's not what you were trying to do. So explain, no. what. let's explain what movement RX is and, and, and really how you found yourself uh, needing to do something different than what the, what the mold was.
1: Yeah. So I graduated from PT school for everyone. So I'm 40. I graduated when I was 32. Like I didn't just go right into um, PT school or right out of, out of college. Right? I played so I, I, I joined the Marine Corps, I was, I was served as a Marine officer, and then I got out of the service and played a year of professional softball, so was, I, I got a chance to play professionally as a pitcher, and then from there, it was like, okay, I want to do something in medicine, maybe something in fitness, like, what would fit that? So those experiences, kind of being a Marine, being an athlete, like, helped expose me to, like, okay, it looks like the medicine world, the medical world, I would like that. But I also want to be able to prescribe movement and help people with their physical injuries, not just prescribing medication. So that's what led me to PT. And so I went to school, went back to school, and got my doctor, which took me five years because I had to do all the prereqs mm. for school um, and then then actually get my doctorate. So at 32, I got my doctorate and um, – like literally six months into running, like working in a traditional PT practice, which was sports performance, you know, I was like, peace out. I am not doing this. Like I really, I felt like, I was developing ADHD because they gave me like ev- literally every hour you had to treat three patients at the same time and kind of like run back and forth between the patients. And that wasn't unlike most clinics because that's how you increase volume and they get paid. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> right. I don't know if we can swear on this. Uh, you have at
0: it. Have at it.
1: You, this fucking sucks. Like I don't want to do this anymore. And so I literally, um, Gave them my three-week notice <laughs> and kind of. went and got married. My husband and I went and got married, went on a honeymoon, and then when I got back, I literally started um, just sitting up tables in CrossFit gyms. Like, I, I, I loved CrossFit. Um, that seemed to be people that, you know, fellow veterans, law enforcement, people that I, you know, tended to gravitate towards that. Mm-hmm. And so I started to, like, work out and then just – meet some gym owners and set my table there and treat athletes and help them stay in CrossFit, like help them do it better, help them stay healthier to do it versus tell them, Oh, you shouldn't do that. Like that's very typical in the health and wellness industry too. Like, Oh, why are you squatting like that? Like, why are you lifting weights like that? Like what, why are we living? Like, of course we should be doing these things. Like let's just teach people how to do them well. And so I, I soon, so that's how I created Movement Rx. was basically, it initially started with me literally carrying around a table in San Diego, treating athletes in these different performance centers. And we still actually have a PT. So like eight years later, we still have a PT practice in San Diego. But I, I also, um, you know, with running my PT practice, I got to, tr- you know, teach for CrossFit. So I, I like literally traveled across the world teaching cross the movement and mobility course for CrossFit. That was, that was initially created by Kelly Starrett. And, um, but I found that, you know, people would, people liked what I taught. Um, I kind of developed my own way of teaching it and wanted like online programming. And so like four years ago, I was like, okay, well, I wanted to develop this online platform, which was very unique, right? Like it's, it's like, instead of doing one-on-one PT care, now I'm like trying to create these digital programs that people can create, you know, access on demand. And so I did that. And of course, when you create something it doesn't mean just people are gonna run towards it, like had to market it. Yeah, I, know. I still felt like I still like <laughs> felt like something was missing. Like, okay, here I am giving people these low back fix, me fix, shoulder fix programs advice, but like I still wasn't tapping into the emotional health piece, which was very much a part is very much a part of a physical injury. And and at that same time I created these digital programs. I was dealing with my own anxiety depression. I'd created this business I wanted, and I was still dealing with my own stuff that was coming up. And so I reached out to a mindfulness and movement, uh, sorry, a mindfulness meditation coach who happened to be a biofeedback therapist. And I started going on my own journey down the mindfulness meditation space, not applying it to my practice yet, but over time I realized this is what's missing with the stuff I teach, yeah, I'm helping you improve your snatch, but you can't freaking slow down. Or like you, yeah, I'm helping you, you know, improve your shoulder injury or your hip, but you've got stuff going on neck up too, and you're not addressing it. Sure. And so I, that's when, um, you know, I started putting out like the stuff that's the mindfulness work, um, that I've been going through. And that's when John and I connected John McCaskill, who's for those of you that don't know him, he's a retired Navy SEAL commander, big in the mindfulness meditation space. He read my book and was like, we should team up. We teamed up last year teaching seminars, and now we run this mindfulness and movement experience for people, which has been absolutely outstanding. And, like, not only for me as a like individual, but for people who are going through it. It's like the whole picture of health and wellness all wrapped up into this little experience. Oh,
0: I mean, that is – that is – I mean this this concept of wellness um, I don't know why it's taken so long because there used to be these you know you'd have you would have these people that maybe they were into meditation and you I mean I guess maybe yoga was the real one that was kind of encompassing <laughs> all of this yeah. uh, but, but it it still just seems it seemed like such a niche thing that a lot of people stayed away from it um but but as far as even if you took in weights, like you had power lifters, right? You had bodybuilders; these different things. And I, when I first got out of the, the the Air Force, I was working at a Gold's Gym in Sacramento, California. And when I say, oh yeah,
1: I think I've been there. Have you my really? Live in Sacramento? Oh yeah.
0: Okay, so mm-hmm. I was at McClellan Air Force Base, which is shows my age; it's no longer mm-hmm. around. And uh, I was I was around I was just around these absolute monsters, right? These like meatheads. They were. Uh, unfortunately, he was a a very nice guy. He's unfortunately passed a bodybuilder named Mike Mataraza, was one of the owners. And these people were taking copious amounts of steroids, right? They were, I'm going to, I don't want to put a label on anyone. I'm going to say they were not the the most mentally sound, healthy people, but they portrayed this thing. They were on the cover of men's fitness, men's health. Uh, Yeah. so, So there was this this facade of, of what fitness and wellness is. And and it's, you know, it's really nice to see that they're going, Hey, there's more than just to be, how much can you overhead squat or how much can you do? Because without, you know, getting this brain thing, what's going on between your ears kind of figured out it's all for nothing. And, and, um,
1: yeah, well there, you hit on a really good point. I mean, so I actually um, was one of those people who would go to the gym and really care about what I looked like for a period of time. And I got involved in the fitness competitions. Um, Not the ones where you did a bunch of gymnastics, but more the ones where you just stood there like a statue and would diet, you know, myself to nothing. And um, it just, it was not fun. Yet, I really part of part of my for part of my life i really cared about that image mm. right and that isn't what health is and now that i i it's taken years of developing my own personal development but then also like looking outside of that fitness world and seeing you know looking beyond it and seeing like what is actually health okay health is actually being aware in the present moment mm. of how you are in the world and how you move and so what like all the research points to that happiness. If you're present in the moment, then you will be happier no matter what you're doing. Right. Like you could be cleaning toilets or shit or you could do you. But if you're present and so when you are present, though, that means you are more aware of what's how you're moving Yeah, or you're not moving. You're aware of your posture. You're aware of the way you treat people. You're aware of the way you, you're aware of the way you judge people, and so that's what um, the mindfulness work has has helped me understand is that mask I was wearing. And even as a PT business owner and what I was doing with CrossFit, while well, I loved it, it was so very very ego driven too in a lot of ways. Even the individuals who you know helped create the course I was teaching, like even mentioned, like this is you're diving into people's ego here. You're helping them improve their performance. You know, they're their snatched. They're clean and jerk. And I just felt like in a way that for a while that was fun and great because you traveled all over. But then there's just still something missing. Like, I don't want to beat into people's egos. Like, yeah, I could. I actually, I do care about your overhead position and your shoulders. I could give a shit how much you lift. Yeah. I just care that you move and move well. And, um, you know, the other. Yeah, so that was, you know, that was kind of that just feeling of unrest, like the more I became aware of that, and it like was in a lot of parts of my life, like the way I treated patients, the way I taught the CrossFit courses, the way I was, you know, with my friends, even the the um the some of the people I chose to work with, it just felt like something was missing. Mm. Yeah. And so and it was that 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 education on how to be aware. So first I had to dive into it myself. For me to actually know what was missing I first had to apply it to my own life and I had to fall on my face numerous times to figure it out. But that mindfulness, not necessarily meditation, but the practice of mindfulness and being aware and slowing down, paying attention, not doing as much, right. Stop trying to do as much and be more present with myself and those I love helped me be more aware of what was missing. And, you know, and so what was missing was, Um, building emotional intelligence with these mover as I was working with, building emotional intelligence and helping people slow down in their movement, helping people slow down with the decisions they made, helping people slow down um, with how they treat themselves and treat others. Like pay attention to what you're putting in your mouth, pay attention to how you're talking to your loved one in front of you. Um, Typically how you treat them is a great mirror of how you treat yourself, you know? And so all of these things, like, I just over the last four years have I added it to my own life, but then found the right people who were also interested in the same thing. It's like that kind of me shifting as a person helped attract the right people too, who are into the same things and into that same process of of that journey of like becoming more aware and waking up actually, like, that's what I call it is waking up. Yeah. And Pima Shadron is a great author. She talks about waking up all the time. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, so by me waking up, I've said goodbye to some of these partnerships I had or people I worked with. In a good, in a loving way, it's like, this just doesn't serve me anymore. And it doesn't serve the people I want to work with. And so, you know, that's part of life, though, is kind of ebb and flow of letting go. But the more aware and more present you are, um, with what's going on in your body and mind, the better you can be in the world. Yeah. Be for others. They're brothers. Yeah,
2: others. Yeah.
0: I, there's a, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. One, um, the fitness industry and I, and I do, and you, you know better than I do, but I, th- as great as the CrossFit movement has been there, it's also something, it's a business, right? And they've, they, yeah. they, they know certain things sell. So there are those those things, those aspects of even bodybuilding and, and those traditional things that 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 bleed over. You know, there's a reason guys get uh, their shirts are off and and you know, like every time they get hot. Can you imagine every time you got hot, you just had to like strip down to to but yeah. it sells and there so there is always gonna be that ego. And, of course. and some of it is people have worked very hard to look the way they look. So and and mm-hmm. I completely I I completely get that. But I do think there's a slippery slope when we, when we give the power to others, uh, uh, to, to determine on how we feel about ourselves, And you very know, much so. So, um, and
1: I, and I definitely, oh my gosh, like, you know, that's, that was years of my life. Like, mm-hmm. the, and it's a roller coaster from being an athlete to the Marines, to running a business. I let other people dictate how I felt about myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, you, and the other thing is, well, two things. You talking about who you surround yourself with, and that is one of my biggest things. Like, I don't care how strong uh, will you think you are. If you surround yourself with the, with with people that that are counterintuitive to what you're trying to stand for, it will compromise you. I, they, I've seen it every time, like with myself.
1: Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. I and I think I it's through the mindfulness work that. Um, and just some of the other personal development stuff I've done to, to kind of un you know, in a way like unleash who I am, yeah. right? Like we're all really good people. It's just find Like finding that like, yeah. realizing that yeah. and sometimes it takes some training. So for me, um, you know, I, I felt at times like I had to work with these people because they were, they emulated what I thought was the right thing to be doing in the fitness space or PT world or, because it was cool or because that person convinced me or, you know, a number of reasons. And the thing I'll tell anyone out there listening is that, and this is what I share with myself is that the, with this work that I've done for myself. And now that we put out in the world with John is that there is a level of self-compassion I have. Like, you know, I did choose to work with that person. I did choose to do that because I I'm human and I learned and now I know I don't want to do that. Yeah. And now I know that, you know, um, uh, the 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 people that maybe I surrounded myself with weren't the healthiest for me. And that's okay. That's power. Yeah. Because I figured that out now, versus like just kind of like, oh, well, it, it's it's cool. It's good for me. You know, I should be doing this. I sh- this I should be around this person. No, if that person treats me like shit, no. Yeah. Right. Or treats other people like shit, no. Yeah. I don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, com- completely. And if anything, my experience from from uh, of trying to change, and then see, I, I see myself and others a lot more. So along with that, just comes an empathy. Like you can look at that person and and, and feel bad for him, feel bad for him.
1: Yeah, you know. And, yeah. That, and that
0: was something. That's usually the first sign I'm in a bad place. Um, is when I have zero empathy for people. Um, right. that's, that's where I know, like, uh, maybe I, maybe I need to, uh, slow down and, and do something to make some changes. Cause I'm not, I'm not doing well. Um,
1: yeah, it is, it is, you hit on something like that empathy piece is huge. Um, you know, I, I had a, um, a colleague, this was a while back, but, um, you know, on a similar, seemingly on a similar mission, right. You think you know someone. And then there was one day um, I remember sitting down and this person telling us, um, I want to be famous. You're not making me famous. <laughs> and Sorry. I remember being like, actually, because there's a friend, I cried. Um, and then, but through this work, through this mindfulness work, I started to develop this. I felt bad. Like I was like, this. this individual really needs to be validated. Yeah. I didn't see that. And so the best thing I could do is love and let go like, but you know, good luck to you. I wish you the best. Um, that is not the, the, that's not the path I'm going down. Um, it is important for me to help others and however that gets out there, as long as I'm doing it for the right reasons, but it's not just for my own sake, my own fame, right. It's to help others. So, but it was nice to get to a point where him other people I was able to be empathetic towards them, and the fact that they really just—and you look at all, all around on social media, a lot of people are looking for validation, and that's not going to get you. That's not going to bring you happiness.
0: I'm, uh, yeah, it's something I struggle with, and I think even in one of our messages going back and forth leading up to this, I'd said something like, "I, I, you know, I, I always feel strange." hosting something called a consequence of habit and then posting stuff on, on <laughs> whatever social media across the board, because I, I've said it on the here before. I'm well, low lying. Yeah. I'm low lying fruit. fruit for, for things like social media. And we're going to get into addiction in, in a bit, but there is something about, um, well, it's dopamine and I'm, and it, when I get it, it's like I'm like me likey. I want more. So I, I it's something I always have to it's a constant struggle. And I accept that. Like I accept that how how I am. That's just the way. And it's funny. Uh, we're, we're hosting a, a digital fast in February and we're going to be working with students. I'm trying to get some military people in where we're like 30 days. Not saying you can't use your phones at all because we all, it's just the digital age. We have to, you know, you're gonna have to be on for Mm -hmm. emails and things like that, but to really take a look at it and go, Hey, is this thing, um, you know, you're talking about being mindful. One of the biggest challenges we have now is there's just this constant ability to, to distract and escape. Like you don't have to sit in much anymore.
2: Like, you know, yeah, like, like
1: no, you're right. And yeah, social media is, I was sharing this with the students or with the students earlier, because if you look from the outside in, maybe even at what you do, what I do, um, you know, you see like, Oh man, they have it all together I'm running a consequence of habit you know, podcast and you know, run a business. And I was sharing with these students, like the way you put yourself out there is literally connect with other people. Find a way to connect. Yes, LinkedIn has been the best way to connect because I actually have conversations like this. It's not just only a digital, you know it's only it's not just like liking a picture. It's literally the people I'm connecting with are other professionals and we have a conversation typically. And um, but, you know, having boundaries, developing boundaries, because we do live in a digital age. So it's really important to develop boundaries around how you use digital. And then every time you go on to, you know, share something, why are you sharing it? What is the reason? And as long as you that you have a good reason for your for your own self as to why, you know, you're making a difference in people's lives. So every time you go on and share you're making a difference in people's lives potentially. Right. And so as long as you can remember that, yeah, then it helps with that process. And then you turn it off. Then you go away from it. Yeah, right. Then, and maybe there's a, sp- a period of time that you're on supporting other people, but that's it. Right. As long as you have the boundaries around it, um, which is really important in life in general with people too, there are people in your life, family, you can't, can't change family. Got to have boundaries with family, though. Yeah. Sometimes, or friends, or certain conversations may not have can't necessarily happen all the time. Like you got to have specific space for it, right? So, developing that's the habit creation. I think developing these micro habits of creating boundaries around the things that might cause you to unravel or um, be extra stimulating, like social media is meant to be. You got to create a habit around it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and then also we're getting back to accepting some people just accepting the fact that this, it, it's too much of a struggle for me. So I'm just going to do away, away with it. Like it's just yeah. doesn't, doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in my lifestyle. Uh, and that's where, I think that's the, the, the part I kind of go, I flip back and forth on because, because to be a business owner and not do these things yeah. is, is, but right, I'm going off, I'm, I'm going on the left field. I want to get back to your story.
2: <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's
0: good. You know, when I was when I was kind of doing research leading up to this interview, uh, I came across your TED talk, very powerful, and I think I, I, it's something I, I wanted to dive into uh, because I think it plays into all of this. Um, f- first of all, let's let's at some point you you have to come to terms and you have to face the fact that you're dealing. Uh, with an issue. And I'm going to let you tell that story, but I really, it was the timing of it that really stood out to me as, as courageous, truly courageous. Cause it, it, it could not have been easy and we're going to get into the power of vulnerability and, and coming to a crossroads and deciding like what is important right here, right now. And then, and then having the courage to do something about it. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to let you take it from there.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, so yes, I I, uh you know, I'll give you a little background on that TED talk. So I I had I gave birth to my first son, you know, this was four years ago. And that TED talk was eight weeks later. I
0: know you said it during I was like wait what?
1: And I was I can't believe I I actually really proud of myself for doing it. Now I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not having more children actually. Um, but I uh I was like in the fog of baby. So the fact that I like could stand up there and talk was, was, uh, was great. Um, but yeah, so my, you know, having, so I had bulimia. I am not a bulimic. I had bulimia. And that's something I think, you know, everyone out there who has an addiction or is is in sobriety from an addiction, right? You don't, you aren't defined by that addiction. It was a part of you. Um, it is a part of you, but it doesn't define you. And so, yes, I had bulimia and it was, uh, eating bulimia as well as exercise bulimia. Um, and so I, I developed, so I had disordered eating disorder. I think a lot of people have disordered eating actually, because if food is the easiest drug, right? Like we just had Halloween, it's there's sugar everywhere. Sugar is addicting. Um, the eating disorder goes beyond just the addiction of sugar. Like, and like any addiction, it's it's telling of what's how you handle life, you know what's going on in life, how you're handling it. And food just happened to be my drug of choice: restricting, binging, and purging. Which this might be triggering for some people hearing this, so just know that. Their National Eating Disorder Association is a great resource for anyone out there struggling with an eating disorder. Um, but so, binging, purging, restricting, and then exercise, bulimia, I, I over-exercise. Uh, etc so um you know college was more of the sort of a disordered eating pattern i had where i would restrict not restrict diet not diet you know kind of yo-yo diet and it very much affected my mood and um and then fast forward to the marine corps where you know life was a bit there was a bit more pressure on me i signed up for it you know i was excited to be a marine uh i just i i you know, the pressure and then starting to dabble in the fitness industry, doing the fitness competitions, started to really, you know, I learned what restricting like extreme restriction looked like. And it did feed this like dopamine response of like, well, I get so many more compliments. I'm like the fitness queen, you know? I mean, I was the, I was kind of the fitness queen in college. And then now in the Marine Corps, especially, there's not many women Marines, but, and if you're a fitness female marine, fitness focused female marine, I mean you can do no wrong. Right. And so, you know, that fed into my addiction too. And but it was a secret addiction. Like nobody, you don't get pulled over for bulimia. Yeah. You don't get, you know, in trouble for overdoing food or underdoing it. People just see what you look like. And I always got comments about what I looked like. Um usually not from my Marines. My Marines, I, I were like a family. It was more of my superiors and then people outside of my, my unit. Um, but you know, so I was dealing with, I didn't want to call it an eating disorder. I knew I was struggling with food issues. Um, I just didn't want to acknowledge it because one, you know, how I was trained was troop welfare, take care of your Marines. I was fucking good at that. I was really good at taking care of everyone else. And then two mission accomplishment, okay, I'm going to war, I need to train my Marines to be, um, you know, use, they already know how to use their weapons, but like, get them on some, you know, get them on some demo ranges, get them the training they need for what we're going to be doing in Iraq, which was mine clearing, you know, building vehicle checkpoints, shit like that, like, so my job was to get them the training they need, and then also take care of them, we had a couple women who were dealing with sexual assault issues. Um, I, a few women in my platoon, um, we had some men dealing with marital issues, you know, like, I mean, you name it, it's just all kinds of things go on. And so my life wasn't my own. There was no time to take care of myself and nor was anybody looking after me. To be honest, none of my superiors were asking me how I was doing, which, okay, they're human beings. Most likely they weren't taking good care of themselves either, but at the time, like, yeah, nobody was asking me how I was doing. The only person that was asking me, that was my dad. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, I mean, I'm doing my job. I just feel like I'm struggling, but I'm doing my job. And I looked it on paper and I could perform well. So just whatever food stuff is going on, it'll probably go away when I deploy, mm. <laughs> which you know, anyone with an addiction out there and I'm sure UJT. like, yeah, not happening. Yeah. Like, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. So, but I still deployed. Um, I actually, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a book about this. I did work with heart battalions, med. I did live with my battalion medical doctor who knew what was going on. And I actually convinced her I was okay. Like she knew what was going on and I had to convince her like, I'm going to be fine. I ended up getting help under the rug. Getting some medication that wasn't on my record, I lied. Essentially, I said I was okay when I, when I, you know, I kind of convinced myself. I over rationalized, like, yeah, I'm okay. I've got to do my job. Like, I can't worry about this shit. And and so, yeah, I deployed and um, did. You know, I was did did some amazing things in Iraq with my Marines. We ran, we built vehicle checkpoints. We ran landmine clearing missions. We, we did one of the first, we ran one of the first poll, we we set polling sites for one of the first um, elections, democratic elections that was going on in Iraq, Fallujah at the time, Iraq as a whole. Um, I actually also worked as a female insurgent escort where, you know, the regimental commander would take me in the middle of the night and we'd pick up a female insurgent and return her to her people. Um, And so I, you know, was face to face actually with, the enemy quote unquote many times. And, um, and yet secretly I was throwing up six, seven times a day.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and, And in secret and in secret, nobody saw it, you know? And so there came a point though, as you mentioned, like I, I, my dad had written me a lot of letters. Every time I talked to him, I pretty much cried. It was the only time I did cry. And, um, I, uh, so re- was like, wrote, I'm yeah, sorry. I'm ahead. sorry
0: to interrupt. Just were you, cause you said no one, you know, other than your dad was kind of asking, how are you doing when you're talking to your dad? Are you open about this stuff at this point? Or is that like, was um, one person you could kind of talk to, or did he just kind of know something was
1: not right? No, I told him what was going yeah, on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I had to tell him and, um, I, I did tell a um, nurse in Iraq about what was going on and she was basically like, you can't tell anyone. You're going to get kicked out. Like, <laughs> don't say anything. Golly, man. So I, um, I didn't say anything. I only told my dad and it was away from my unit on a sat phone, you know, where Marines could use their computers, but I made sure no one was around. But my dad ended up writing a letter to me, many letters, but one of them was saying like, look, like you the Marines will go on like this war is going to go on, but you won't if you continue doing this and you're going to not only hurt yourself, but other people. And I kind of, you know, I was, when I know what I know about brain science now, like my amygdala was just in overdrive the whole time. Hijacked. And so yeah, I was hijacked and I wasn't making clear decisions. Like I was literally, I think it was the one night when I was on a mission I, I was responsible for you know, hundred plus Marines and no one got injured, but I wasn't focused yeah. at all. I mean, I was maybe like 60% there and I literally had to look at myself and thanks to my father who kind of like, you know, also was talking to me like a leader. He's like, you're a leader. You are not doing a good job as a leader right now. Mm. You're only at six. You, if you're, you, if you're functioning at 60%, like that's not good enough. And I care about you. Like, I love you. Like I've already lost my wife. I don't want to lose you. And, you know, I mean, my dad was, he's, he's been a huge influence in my life. He passed away five years ago, but still a huge influence on my life. And I saw what it was like for him to lose his wife. Right. And I, and at that moment I realized like, this isn't just me. I'm trying to hide this from like, this isn't healthy. This is affecting my dad. And Oh, by the way, this convoy I just ran, I could have hurt people. Yeah. Um, and so I did go that day, I went straight to my XO, uh, my I'm sorry, my CO and my committee officer. And he of course gave me this feeling like, Well, my girlfriend in college had an eating disorder. <laughs>
0: I'm very proud of it. Sounds That's like great.
1: yours. And uh, what do you want to do about it? You want to go like on light duty or like and it's like I think I like need professional help. Like I think I need to go home and everyone tried to convince me to go to like another base and just work at a desk. And I was like, no, working what if- at a desk isn't solving my problem. I, I'm, I'm, I need, phys- I need help, like actual eating disorder, help, not drug or alcohol addiction, help eating disorder, help. And, you know, like the military knows what to do with alcoholism. Um, cause it's a more, it, it's, it's, seemingly more common but eating disorders are actually pretty common too yeah they just don't aren't talked about as much so i I ended up getting medevaced home for this eating disorder which was one of the most hard experiences of my life um more from a standpoint of i was so embarrassed i'm i mean I'm, i'm next to people who have these physical wounds one guy who like wanted to commit you know commit suicide who was being detained um and going home to get some help. And here I am with an eating disorder and I felt so um, small. Yeah. Sorry.
0: That's what stuck out to me was the, I mean, there's a reason we don't tell people about our addictions and it's that bitch of shame. Like we're just, it sucks. So, uh, when the consequences of you coming forward, one is is for something that you it had to take a tremendous amount of courage, and then for it to be minimized by the superiors, and then when you finally get to the point where you're getting the help that you truly need, uh, there there's this punitive response to it, and and that only makes that shame, I'm guessing, only makes it that much worse and that much heavier to have to kind of sit through. Uh, and that, so that yeah. was my biggest takeaway was was from that TED talk was like, God that um, that the, the process of of getting to that I'm gonna guess the lowest of lows, and then starting yeah. over and rebuilding and working your way up, I think there's tremendous power in that. I think you, I, there's no way you knew it at the time, but the power of that story as as it's evolving is phew, it's awesome, really awesome.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was it, you know, going back there, um, it was one of the hardest times in my life. I mean, there's so much shame with it. And, you know, the thing that kept me going was my mom I and mean, my mom passed away when I was 10 from breast cancer. But I remember her telling me she remember like her literally holding my face as a 10 year old and saying life must go on for you. Mm, wow. No matter what. And cause I was like, I can't go on without you.
2: Yeah. And,
1: now I'm yeah. and she, she literally was like, it has to Teresa, like, you're going to be fine. And you know, every time I hit these points where I just didn't want to, I was like, no, I have to, yeah. I told her I would.
0: Yeah. And, so. and all of these things, man, like, like, like trauma and stress. And this was, was something I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and it's a psychologist and I, and I was I was trying to figure a way to package towards the military, like how we deal with loss, how we deal with stress and trauma and, and mm-hmm. um that acceptance that we, we all will be victims to it at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Some of us uh, younger age than others. Mm-hmm. And I was comparing it to altitude sickness. And I think one of the, the problems with the military, this, this idea of suck it up um, it's, it fits it sometimes like sometimes you just, in the if it's in the middle of something, you got to suck it up. Yeah. But that does not serve people long-term. And, and this idea of if you were part of a platoon going up a mountain and someone starts suffering from, from altitude sickness, well, you would never say to them, suck it up. It's right. because it's not, it's not, it's not your toughness that's being questioned. It's not your character that's being right. questioned. Uh, some people are going to deal with it better just because of the way they're wired, it's the way they're built. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's just, it's, it's, you know, you talk to people who have been through trauma and the way it manifests itself. We all find these different avenues. We pick our own poisons to feel good short term. And it's that long, yeah. that long-term thing of doing the things that don't bring that instant gratification that where you get that true self-confidence where it's not in the eyes of the person looking at you, uh, deciding how much body fat you have or, yeah. uh, you know, it's, um, it's Well,
1: tricky. there's a, there's, I was giving, um, I was doing uh, like an interview for this documentary recently and. The the thing that I brought up was that when as service members we join for a reason to serve, right? And we take it's a brave thing to do. And no by no means did I know what I was up against when I joined. I just knew that I wanted to do brave things for my country and make a difference. And at the end of the day, I don't I didn't have tools on how to keep myself healthy, healthy to help others. I was really good. Uh, and this is a lot of service members and leaders who do so good at taking care of other people and accomplishing missions and making money for their company and driving that they can't slow down to take care of themselves. They can't, they don't know how to, um, and they, and they aren't necessarily the young age given the tools. Yeah. And so um, I'm, I'm, thankful mindfulness training is actually becoming part of some of services cricket some of the services curriculum i think the army is implementing some of it i don't know how effective it is but the other component to developing a mindfulness practice with service members to be honest um which i think could be super beneficial is building this idea of empathy right like yes there are certain like i had to go through the convoy completed the convoy it wasn't like Hey, I'm out. You know, in the yeah, middle right, of it. Right, right. I finished it, but I knew once I was back and everyone was safe, that I needed to go do something, and that someone else could step in for me. Even my gunnery sergeant at the time, or staff sergeant Adam Larson He runs. I mean, he's an amazing man. I'm still in touch with. He even was like, dude, the Marine Corps is going to go on. You're going to be fine. Like, yeah. I think he was the only one I told specifically what was going on and told the truth to it Because I told every. I didn't tell everyone I had an eating disorder when I went home. I said I had a heart condition, which, yes, an eating disorder can create heart conditions. I mean, if you're throwing up six or seven times a day, what does that do to your oh. due to your esophagus? What, is that, what, is, what can that do to you? It can do really bad things. Yeah. But all people see is, oh, you can't eat brownies. You can't go to the chow hall. Like you look fine. Like what's wrong with you? Um, and so I. But but the but the interesting thing was, and I actually can think about this person in a like we talked about earlier in a more um, empathetic way uh, and feel sorry for them is the, the lieutenant that took over for me. Like he was he 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 was married. Doesn't didn't have any kids. But there was a lieutenant that to fly out to take over my position, and him and his wife were so ridiculously mean to me because of that. Um, And I was just, and and not to my face,
2: but sharing
1: rumors about sure. Sure. And um, I found out about this later on, but I, I, I felt it was, it made me, it really hurt. If I knew a Marine was suffering, a fellow Lieutenant with what I was dealing with, and I had to go take over for them. I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. Like, okay. I got this. Go take care of yourself. But that wasn't the response. And that is a failure of the system in a way of, like, let's train our people to be empathetic. Because, you know, when you do brave things, fucking hard shit's going to happen in your brain, too. Things are going to happen. You're going to cope in different ways. So let's figure out how to be a family versus be against each other. And that's, you know, now, if I saw that person on the street, hey, you know, all the best. But, like, at the time, like, that was pretty uncalled
0: for. Yeah. It's, it's, and, it's the easy way out. It's easy to be mad at somebody and, and blame things on other people. And, um, and then sometimes when people don't get it, yes, they don't understand it. You know, I, I've said on here a bunch of times, uh, you know, when people used to tell me they their back hurt, I'd be like, yeah, that must be terrible. And I was like, whatever, just kind of, and then I, you know, then I've had two back surgeries. So now anytime someone's like, Hey, my back's not good. I'm like, sit down, let's, let's relax. Let's figure out what's going on. You're only going to make mm-hmm. it worse if you, cause, uh, so yeah. until I went through that, you know, uh, it's just ignorance a lot of times.
1: Um, totally. Yeah. But, but there's, but there's a, but when you do have Um, When you do develop this sense of empathy in your life and kind of like are aware, like even in the service, there is a mission accomplishment and troop welfare, but there's also, there's a connection of working together and taking care of each other and looking out for each other. And when someone isn't um, doing well or struggling, that's what we do is we pick each other up.
2: Yeah. And
1: that isn't necessarily part of the training as an officer, right. Or as enlisted, like, and that should be, how do we support each other? Cause we're all coming at, you know, from different walks of life and sometimes we might have to carry the, the pack of someone else.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean,
0: you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I've seen it just recently uh, on a military base of some leadership really talking about some, some people either hey, just doing this to get out or, um, Without, I mean, I'm going to guess they don't truly know everything that's going on in somebody's of life. Of course, it's never do. Yeah, uh, it's it's, the, yeah, it's, it's the, like I said, it's an easy thing to do. It's very easy to kind of put people down, and, and we're famous for eating our own. Like, show some weakness, and and it's it's like blood in the water, and the sharks will show up for sure. Yeah, um, and that, and I think that's what, I think that's what's so hard about these communities of getting people to open up. You know, if you don't realize like, hey, you know, I, I see it in law enforcement, uh, and well, just first responders in general. Like if your management doesn't, I mean, really it should be because they care about you and your wellness and how they feel about you. But on that civilian side, there's the, you want your people making sound decisions because we've seen what happens when we don't. Right. This really, I mean, if you just put a monetary value on it, you'll see that it is, it behooves you to have people that are, that are in a good mental place before they show up to work because
1: yeah.
0: um, Yeah. Checks in the mail for bad stuff. Yes.
1: uh, Yeah. No, it's, I mean, the thing is, it's uh, this, this work. And in my, in my eyes, and there's people that do are amazing people out there who've made mistakes Um, and efface them and then there are people who aren't and I think just having still having empathy for people that they're doing the best they can Mm. um unfortunately some of the best they can is pretty shitty still (laughs) but the fact that um you know if I ever saw some of these individuals who were mean (laughs) I would I would hopefully guide them towards a better way like Hey, you know what? You know what you could have done a little differently? Or maybe this might help you in your life with your own family right now. Yeah. We've kind of lost, you know, that's something in the healthcare world, the service, this humanity. We are human beings. We have souls. We have hearts. You know, it's not just about the mission. Um, we're living, breathing human beings. And when we can treat each other as such, it doesn't have to be all touchy-feely and shit. Like, But there's got to be a time when there's, there's a connection on a human level. Yeah. You, we work with women now in special operations. Women are built. We are a little bit different than men, so you know. But we can do good shit. Yeah, we can do a lot of good shit, actually. And so let's just stop like judging and like actually learn how to connect.
0: Yeah, find the sim- yeah find the similarities like that, and I think that's what we just suffer with across the board. And God forbid you throw in MSNBC or, or Fox news or put right. them all in it and it, it, they'll be sure to connect us or disconnect us as much as possible. Uh, I, I had Stacey Sims. I don't know if you know Stacey Sims.
1: Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Yes. I haven't She's released amazing. it yet. Yeah.
0: I haven't released it yet. Uh, but, but I had her on the podcast too. So, yep. um, I'm excited about getting, cause I mean, that's a lot of her story. Like, Hey, we're just different. We have different, you have roar. I
1: have her book here. Um, roar. Yeah.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. She's great. Yeah. She's yep. fantastic. Uh, you know, there was one other thing that I wanted to, uh, uh, discuss with you and, but I think you already kind of covered it and it was more this idea of, of honest conversation, whether it be with yourself, um, or with others, you know, you said even talking to other people and and you, you said you've even were, were forthcoming about some of your struggles, and you use this power of, of manipulation, which I'm going to throw that title on there. It's because what I use when we have things, we feel a lot of shame about. We're pretty good at, at getting people to believe otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this idea, and this, this comes from a, a past guest named Dan Ellis, um, who unfortunately lost both of his parents to, to, to suicide of this. I want to get this phrase right. Um, honest conflict is way more powerful than, than dishonest harmony that we can continue to go on and, and just kind of get by. But at some point, these honest conversations kind of have to happen. Would you consider that the most honest conversation, the hardest conversation you had when you kind of came forward with, with your eating disorder?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say, the honest conversation that I had with myself first,
2: mm, yeah. for
1: sure. Like, um, you know, because everything was, you know, I, I had to look the part, be the part, act the part. Could do you no know, wrong, like I was more afraid of failing as a Marine to my, with my Marines and looking bad in their eyes than anything else. But I had to honestly look at myself and look at what I was doing to the, I mean, I was doing, you know, I was, I was in, combat before women were even allowed, acknowledged, not allowed, but acknowledged about being there. And like, I was doing amazing things with my Marines. Just, I was honestly really struggling. It was in that convoy kind of opened my eyes to the fact that I'm really effed up here. Like I'm, I really need some help. And my dad brought this level of awareness to me gently in a way of like, you matter. Yeah. And for the first time acknowledging, okay, I matter too. Not only, it mattered to my dad, it mattered to uh, my Marines.
2: Yeah.
1: My health matters. I matter. Um, and I don't know where along the line, you know, I mean, this is, I don't know where along the line I didn't realize, I I, I didn't feel I did matter. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think there was a point in my life that I probably just lost touch with. All that matters is that people think of me as a good athlete, a good person, a good Marine, strong, all that. And all that other stuff just needs to be pushed down into the basement, you know, and like, I'll acknowledge, I'll, I'll think about that some other time, which would be never, yeah. you know, until that moment in my room after that night convoy, I was like, oh man, I, I really, I think I'm, I'm not doing well. Um, I need to like do something about it. I know I'll probably lose my job, but I'm going to hurt someone else, you know, I potentially could hurt someone else. Do you think, I'm gonna hurt
0: myself. Sorry. Do you think it was the, the role of, of it as a leader and then it it compromising you as a leader? What I'm getting at, do, do you think was it was that uh decision made easier by that? Would it would you have been able to make that decision if you had not been in that position where you, you think it might have compromised you as a leader?
1: Um I think being a leader made me more. It, it was a little bit more prevalent yeah. in terms of like, um, pressure. Cause you know, the Marines look to me for a lot of things, not just co- like, not just operational stuff, like, you know, personal development and training. And, and I, and so there was this level of responsibility of like, okay, I'm a the medium, some, something's wrong. And this might impact the people that I'm serving yeah, and I need to just come clean. And I, well, I didn't really come clean, to be honest, about what was going on with me because I didn't want to face it yet. I just wanted to face the fact that I do I, need, I, need, I needed professional help and I wasn't going to get it in Fallujah.
2: No, no, no you weren't.
1: So. Uh,
0: well, you know, I, I guarantee that the, the people that, that know the, the Marine that you were and, and everything that kind of goes along with this package that we present to people, when those people that, that come across, like they've really got it together, have the the courage to come forward and put these things out there. I think there's so much more power in that. Um, because it's, those are, then everyone else can go, Oh man. I, I mean, if they've got something, I, maybe I can come out with X, right. Y, Z. Right. Um,
1: and that's very much what's happened is when I wrote warrior, my memoir five years ago, it's not a bashing of, the marine corps or anything it's actually my come to wellness story it's like a look this is what i dealt with and this is what i i've chosen to take ownership of and it's been really great i've actually connected with a lot of my marines um, and even some of the lieutenants that were total asswads um, since then and um, cuz no one knew but they realized like they judged right they, they some of them actually realized like i judged you way too much right um, and that was, you know, that was good. That was very healthy, like to have those conversations. And so I'm still keep in touch with, and, you know, and even for me, the honest conversation is, I am very proud of my service. I had an eating disorder. Yes. But I am very proud of the way I served and the way I was honest with my leadership, even though the leadership told me they were disappointed and that I was, you know, I, I like, what's wrong with me? I'm still, I, regardless of that. I know I did the right thing. Yeah. And I know that's what leaders, I know that I, that, that asking for help was an act of leadership. The,
0: the, the idea of service, sometimes it takes a while to, to see it, but I guarantee that service continued by you coming forward. You know, I, I've had uh, general Greg Martin on the show, suffered bipolar, um, And that is his continued service. Like it's sometimes it's just being vulnerable as part of it. And, and it's, you know, there can be another, uh, service member or maybe not that that can hear your story and, um, uh, uh, have the courage to do do the same. So, and, and, and really that stoic philosophy of the obstacles away without those decisions that you made then, uh, who knows, who knows everything you've done since then. It's just, um. Yeah, it's cool, man. Sometimes it's that vulnerability that really sparks this new path of wherever you're going to go. And uh, well, listen, Very we're- much
1: so it can be wounds can be your wisdom. Yeah, I and like that. yeah, wounds can be your wisdom. And it's I tell all veterans like, look, you're, you know, the the transition is challenging for everyone, but your service doesn't have to end. It just is going to look different. So now I bring this sense of vulnerability into the wellness space because when people still people look at me or see what I do and they're like, you could do no wrong. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, I can. (laughs) And I'm a human being just like you. And I will have this awkward, vulnerable conversation because it's needed. And then that opens up the floodgates for other people to be like, oh, wow, you know, she's human. She's sharing this. Like, I know someone in my life or actually that's happening with me.
2: Yeah. I'm going to,
1: I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. So it there is a huge, you know, in, in terms of my responsibility now in a really amazing way, it's like doing this with you sharing about it is how that's my responsibility is to show people what's possible
2: Yeah.
1: if they do face their demons and their wounds, because it can definitely turn into wisdom. It's just not going to happen overnight.
0: No, no. Then that's, that's the hard part, right? None of these things are fast, but, um, Teresa, I know you got to get going here. Where, If people want to I find do. out more about you, uh, check out your social. Where can, where can people find you?
1: So they can you can find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Teresa Larson. You can find me on at MovementRx. Um, we've got Facebook and Instagram. But check out movement-rx.com. We've got some wonderful opportunities. I get to work with John McCaskill um, on the Mindfulness and Movement Experience, which is on our website. Um my movement arcs.com. So I would definitely challenge you all to check it out. Our next experience launches December 1st and then every six weeks thereafter. But you know, we run these experiences for 21 days with the tribe with full support from myself and John and my team.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to hopefully having a consequence of habit event. That's going to include both you and uh, John yes. McCaskill. So uh, more to come with that. Uh, Dr. Thank Larson, you, JT. thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. This is, this has been oh, awesome. Yeah. You're awesome. a
1: badass. I appreciate you too. It's, <laughs>
0: all right. That's it. Thanks everybody for checking out the podcast. If you guys like this, please go on to Apple. I mean, I don't, go on to Apple. I don't even know what that means. Uh, it, if you listen to this podcast on Apple, please leave a rating. It means a lot. I've said it before. I don't even know why it means a lot, but in the world of podcasting, it most certainly does. Uh, if you guys want to hear more or see more about what we're doing, please check out consequenceofhabit.org. If you guys, you want to hear the newsletter or read the newsletter, whatever you want to uh, you're going to read it because you can't hear it. So if you guys want uh, access to the newsletter, sign up there and we will start getting you more information. Uh, if you guys think there's a guest that should be on here, then please feel free to hit us up at info at consequenceofhabit.org of habit.org and let us know who it is, what their story is. And, uh, we'll see about getting him or her on. Thanks everybody. Catch you next time.